we haven't done this for a while and um so now I don't even know what we do. What do we do when we do shit like this? We go three, two, one. ready like it was like jason Bourne with the clapping i just it just kicked in to me it was a little more like jason aborted but nice is that what we're talking about today Mm -hmm. we're talking about movies folks or people or whatever you want to be called tell us drop us a line um yeah i don't know um Oh, wait, hold on a second. Because of the magic of editing, I have to find a middle name. I have to find a middle name. And I bet you have them all lined up. You. Oh, my person. God, not even close. I forgot that was even a thing we did. See, but, yeah, so this is, we're just going to piecemeal this shit together. All right, I found mine. I'm ready whenever you are. Do I, st- I start it, so that's, unless you don't have anything. I'm Harland, sponsored by Grant. <laughs> I'm Ryan Doug's Diggit McKenna. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, oh, we're the Doddlers. Yeah, it's Doddlers Philosophy Podcast. Probably short, but we'll see. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what this will be. Long, short, medium. Okay. Hey, uh, what are we talking about today, Ryan? Uh, We're talking about one of our old... Oh, wait. You asked Ryan. I know. And uh, drop us a line, folks, if you thought that was confusing. Um, Yeah, we are... We're talking about today something that I'm kind of nostalgic for, which it kind of landed in the world's lap, or my lap. And, um, you know, today's, like, you know, post-Trump election 2016 or whatever, everything's very, uh, everything's a raw wound in the world today. And it's just the makeup of people exchanging information, ideas, and opinions, and whatever. It makes things uh, reactionary, etc. 
But prior to this, um, if you just woke up out of a coma, you know, that started in 2016 and you, you're, you're waking up now and you're like, what's going on? Um, prior to this, there used to be, you know, I don't know what to call it, like intellectualism stuff, even if it was a bunch of people wearing ass hats or whatever. Um, there was an attempt, you know, somehow to have this like discourse. And it kind of went went away immediately, you know, once, you know, what's his name is grabbing everybody the pussy and anyway. Um, so what I witnessed on social media, because like everyone else, I'm just, I'm there, um, was an exchange on Twitter between two evolutionary biologists I guess you could say it was evolutionary biologists, even though one of them is kind of a philosopher now and whatever. The two people are David Sloan Wilson and Massimo Pilucci. And I think that's how you say his last name. Uh, I know Harlan. Sounds good to me. Harlan, when we first ever mentioned his name, he was like, Pilucci or whatever. You, you have your own little history with him. But to anyway, him and his ideas are shit so they what how this all kind of got going was you know one of the things that david sloan wilson he's a i guess you could say he's one of the main advocates or proponents for um selection above you know you know i guess you could say group selection if you want to be old and ancient about it as opposed to like individuals being selected individual organisms this is against evolutionary biology. And he kind of pushed it forward. He had a paper in 1975 where he did some math and he was like, he was able to show that it can work, you know, group selection. Um, and, uh, you know, he's just always pushed this and it's been his big deal, you know? So he's kind of at, in a way, not polar opposites from Richard Dawkins, but he's kind of on the other side because Richard Dawkins is much more, gene centric and you know reductionist and all that and david sloan wilson he's now created this or constructed this phrase called multi-level selection theory it's a well not just a phrase it's a theory and you know he touts it pretty much that's his thing and so he's all into trying to apply evolutionary theory to human affairs and systems created by people and so part of that's culture and part of that's um you know government politics it could be uh other kinds of institutional factor or or parts of the society like school districts and things like that so anyway he was putting something out there as he always does where he uh had you know sent out something about this particular kind of historical research that I've mentioned before, this guy, Peter Turchin, he was like, Hey Peter, what about the Greek civilizations? Have you studied them? And Massimo Piliucci was just like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> oh, I didn't even know that was how it started. So he just came swooping in. Yeah. I saw you tweet at this other guy, something, and I'm going to tell you guys to fuck up. Stop it. Yeah, like, you know, what was the uh, Bob Newhart 
you know, therapy thing with Mo Collins. Stop it! Stop it! So, uh, of course, this is painting everybody unfairly, but, you know, whatever. Get your own damn podcast. So, <laughs> um, Stop it! Anyway, Massimo is skeptical of the application of natural selection to various matters of, you know, human society. And cultural evolution, I'm not saying he's against it entirely, it doesn't seem like, but he's just like, he's all show me, you know, that kind of thing. And um, that kicked off some, you know, you know, um, back and forth on Twitter between the two. And then, you know, of course, David Sloan Wilson is one of those kind of people who's like always roping others in. And he's like, come on, you know, you know, he's getting other people to join in, trying to get them to join in. And Massimo, and it, it, you know, it's like his arms are crossed and he's like, nope, you know, that kind of thing. So they both agreed, or at least Massimo, I'm sure it was David Sloan Wilson who extended an invitation to Massimo to do this thing called Letters. Uh, it's at letters.wiki.com or something like that. And, you know, this is a place where intellectuals who have disagreements or whatever can go back and forth with each other by having a, a, a more extended forum to, you know, or extended place, a place to extend their arguments even further, a forum for that. And that was in response to Massimo saying, you can't have a good argument you know, with somebody on Twitter, it's just not possible. And David Sloan Wilson, of course, kept like prodding him and was like, yes, let's argue anyway. And Massimo was <laughs> like, no, you can't make me. And so finally, I think this is what happened. So they ended up going uh, and writing letters back and forth. I think there's seven or so or eight, something like that. And I read through them once or twice, but I, you know, some things piqued my interest, but I just want to like, hey, you know, we did the Zizek-Peterson debate, which I've expressed to you in, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, just us. But, like, I'm like, oh, why did we do that? Because it's just, you know, <laughs> come on. <laughs> so it's too easy. Um, and so I thought this is a little bit more, I think, our speed. You know, it's a little more obscure, you know, and it's actually something that I personally, you know, intellectually care about. And um, I don't think that's drivel. Um, I do think that it's two people talking who have a disagreement about something and it may not have produce any real fruit or anything like that, but there's a little bit of heat, a little bit of light. And I'm just like nostalgic for this at this point, you know, because um, it doesn't happen. I kind of like that point that you're reminiscing about the good old o Obama days <laughs> yeah, when in general in American society things were a little more settled and there were some space opened up for the nerds to get heard you know instead of just <laughs> rushing into their little mouse holes and worrying away at their kernels of corn that they were able to steal. Or at least you know we're under the illusion that that's something that we can do. <laughs> and so then people do it, you know? Um, yeah. And so that's kind of where I think this all started. I mean, my thinking was, this is kind of how I summarize the, the exchange between the two of them to an extent, you know, David Sloan Wilson says something to the effect of, did you see that plane in the sky? 
And Massimo would be like, I definitely saw something, but I couldn't say it was a plane. What makes you think it was a plane? And Wilson would be like, it had wings and it flew in the straight line or whatever. And Massimo would be like, lots of things can do that. You can't prove, you know, like that's kind of the back and forth as I <laughs> saw it. Anyway, I mean, something like, it's hard to fly a plane. That's his other thing with Massimo. I don't know. <laughs> it's hard to identify planes in the sky. You don't understand. That's his, that's his, one of his big things in this discussion. Um, so the idea in general is that David Sloan Wilson um, applies this notion of multi-level selection theory to cultures and cultural evolutionary events and phenomena and stuff like that. And Massimo saying it's not that easy. I think that's the basic crux. And uh, David Sloan Wilson is like, oh, contraire, or whatever, and then back and forth. That's kind of... Right. Okay, so Sloan Wilson is the proponent, if not the originator of MLS. Yeah. Right, of the multi-level selection. And then he's talking to a colleague, Turchin, who also accepts that theory and applies it in his work. Correct. Right? So he was like, hey, Turchin, look at it. Maybe you could do a paper about this. I got an idea. I'd like to see somebody do it, but I don't want to do it because I'm busy writing books about <laughs> this view of life. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, go go do this work. And then uh, Piliucci has an alert for any time anybody talks about Greece. Because he's all <laughs> into that right now. <laughs> And so he gets dinged, and it shows up on his thing. Did somebody talk about ancient Greece? That's my domain. And then he's like, oh my god, you're talking about applying evolutionary thinking to the Peloponnesian War? Yeah. No, stop it. Yeah. You can't do that. And then Wilson says, why not? And Piliucci says, there were two things, right? One, it's hard, and two, it's speculative, right? Right. Yep. Oh. And he keeps, he's the the type, at least, I don't know how often he is this type, but in this conversation, he was the type of guy that was saying, I, I, I think, you can correct me, give me the numbers, right? It yep. has to be, what's the word? The philosopher is like, what's the word for this? <laughs> what? Uh, when you can... Measured? Or there's got to be measurements? Is that what you're trying to say? That's not the word. I don't fucking know. We're lost. We got to be able to, you know, put numbers on everything. Quantify? I don't care. Yeah, we have to you have to quantify everything. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then Sloan Wilson is like, "Okay, I agree with you. Quantification is nice. I would also like to be able to do that." But to criticize me for not being able to do it yet is like criticizing someone in 1880. For not being able to quantify biological evolutionary thinking. We didn't... It's the Wild West still. We don't have our units and our numbers worked out. I don't know. Is that, is that at all what part is kind of how that started in the letters? That kind of seems to be the nat, the natural back and forth. But David Sloan Wilson is never... He's He never doesn't have his convert 
hat on. He's just like, convert to my way of thinking. Like, he constantly, you could see he's just like, no, Massimo. You, you know, like, he tries all these tricks, like, make Massimo feel bad about, like, you know, you were so cutting edge, and what happened? You know, like, that kind of like shit. Because he mentions about how Massimo kind of put together this um, Altenberg 16, or whatever the fuck they called it, uh, meeting where uh, people would come together and say, you know, there was this um, ev- you know, evolutionary modern synthesis um, that happened in the early part of the 20th century, early to mid, and uh, we think that it needs a little bit more um, primping and whatever, and so came up with this idea of extended evolutionary synthesis. We've got new stuff that really wasn't addressed in the modern one, and we want to keep it, you know, pushing things forward or whatever. And, uh, you know, Massimo was a big part of that. And so, because, uh, you know, Massimo, in my opinion, you know, he's, compared to us, he's he's a total hustler, you know. And so is Sloan Wilson. You know, these people are like, great institution, and I'll be on the cutting edge of this, and da 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 you know. And uh, so David Sloan Wilson was invited to that, because he's the MLS guy. And, uh, you know, other people, other developmental stuff, epigenetics really got kind of brought up into the you know mainstream of discussion or whatever for at least at the academic level it was you know no longer just simply a pocket where people were you know kind of forgotten or whatever so there are all these things happening um uh, niche construction had its you know moment in the sun for that too so anyway um, yeah, so he's kind of also poking at him for that and be like, you were the one who kind of called us together and now you're pushing us away, you know, <laughs> what happened, you know, that kind of thing. So there's a little bit of that going on. Um, and that's just the, you know, what that, I mean, I noticed that. So it feels like I'm talking gossip, but it's, it was in the letters, you know, and it was also in the, uh, <laughs> in the, the, the tweets that Sloan Wilson sent out. And my guess is that it irks the shit out of Massimo because I'm sure he doesn't like to, you know, uh, feel like he's not relevant anymore or whatever. But the (laughs) other thing I want to say though, is that, um, he, he, he wrote this thing, uh, Twitter. I sent to you because I, we were kind of slowly gearing up for this. So I sent you a little tweet that he put out that I saw and he says, my new self-description on Twitter, professor of philosophy at City College, evolutionary biologist, student of Stoicism, somehow I've become a default, uh, by default, a gadfly to both philosophers and scientists. And then he said, that was the end quote of the description, self-description on Twitter. And then he says, I would have never thought that when I started back in 2010, to, uh, 2010, which is the philosophy, I guess that's sort of maybe when, I thought he got his philosophy career started well before that, but whatever that is, maybe when he started Twitter, I don't know. But uh, it, it, it's kind of one of those things where I noticed earlier, there's this other guy who who's probably our audience knows better than us, I'm guessing. Uh, he does uh, Nigel Warburton. And he does Philosophy Bites podcast, you know, and uh, he, Massimo, I noticed one time just because Warburton generally, like Frankish and other people on our feed, you know, tweet relatively frequently, you know, usually it's just a, hey, I read this and this is interesting, you know, that kind of thing. But he sent something out. Warburton said something out. And Massimo did the same thing to Warburton that he was doing to Sloan Wilson. It was just sort of like, no, it's not. You know, like that kind of thing. And Warburton was like, Jesus Christ. You're like, 
he was coming back with responses, but at the same time, you could tell he was just sort of like, oh, I was not expecting you to come at me with your with your hammer. Every scientist and philosopher is a nail mask. No, I'm sorry. That was part of the letters. I guess we can the leave the... clause that yeah. stuck out to me about the Massimo's self-description there was by default. And that's what you're stressing. You're like, what do you mean by default? You're the one who's out there. Mm-hmm. Yelling at everyone who crosses your path, whatever. Whatever, yeah. You get a, a certain, there's an odor and you don't like it. and Which, again, that is pretty much what Twitter is, right? But um, I guess, you know, he's he's taking aim at his own colleagues. No one gets by Massimo. Um, anyway, but I just, I was like, okay, so that was one part of it that I thought was neat <laughs> anyway, so um but in general you know i i guess some of the stuff that got me was i, I this this kind of stuff always blows up to a larger theme or whatever for me you know these kinds of things because i'm always surprised that like even in the letters they are I don't feel like they're putting themselves out there. Like they're not really taking risks here. Like, you know, Massimo keeps saying in letter after letter, like, tell me about the Peloponnesian War, damn it. And they're like, Alcibiades or whatever that guy's name is like, what did he do? You know, like that kind of stuff. And so, um, and then of course, Wilson always says something to the effect of like, yeah, I know you want the details. I'm going to give them to you. And then he doesn't, you know? So it's like, (laughs) he just keeps doing the theory stuff. Um, even though Wilson could have probably given him some details, because in the book he wrote with the uh, philosopher of biology, Elliot Sober, unto others, they did highlight a particular, uh, it was in the 20th century, I think it was the early 20th century, in Sudan there were two uh, people who fought against each other, and I think, it so there was the Nur and the Dinka or something like that, and the newer one, and it, part of it, I thought that the explanation was that they were more cooperative with with each other to win out over the Dinka or whatever. And um, I guess this is a a good opportunity to kind of maybe try and flesh out some of the actual background and ideas and stuff that these guys are talking about because we've said multi-level selection theory, but what the fuck is that? You know, or, you know, group selection or, uh, fucking Peloponnesian war, you know, like, I don't know what anyone would know about all these topics. We'll leave like the link in our description so you can go and read the shit yourself and say, we got it all wrong. Um, so I thought in some ways, you know, if you want, we can still talk about different points in the, the letters, if you had any that stood out to you, but then I thought we can also be branching out into a little bit more larger themes, you know? Yeah, let's do it. Get into the ideas. Screw these people. All right, let's do it. All right, so my biggest thing when I think about, you know, it was it was the question that Massimo posed in one of the letters to, I suppose I should just go fucking hunt this shit down, um, uh, where... He's talking to David Sloan Wilson. He basically starts grilling him about like what's being selected to uh, Massimo's grilling Wilson. He's basically saying like 
who are the groups and how are they reproducing is basically his main question when it comes to say this particular example of the Peloponnesian War in ancient Greece is around uh, you know before 400 BC um, I think it ended in 404 or something like that yeah so he says I ask again what counts as a group and why was Athens a group was the Peloponnesian League were the Spartan helots you know and then he says did these groups reproduce how what was the offspring you know he starts asking all these kind of questions and this is where I'm like, this is fine if you're playing it safe, but none of the ideas are being actually discussed because I think these are crucial. Like, you could ask these questions about anything, especially even biological. Like, what is an offspring? What is an organism? What is mm-hmm. an individual? What's a group? What's, you know, like all of a sudden, like, you're like, uh oh, shit's falling apart. And these two are just, you know, talking to each other or at times perhaps talking past each other. Um, And so my thinking is, and it's always been this way, and I think we've talked about this. I've got these two issues that I don't think there's a, an easy answer. There's no just like, oh yeah, there's like useful ways and heuristics to talk about these things. But essentially I don't think we have any of this stuff nailed down. And those two things are essentially uh, the distinction between an individual and a group, whatever, you know, group, collective, however you want to talk about it. Um, and then the idea about, you know, and we won't talk about this today, but maybe someday, like what's the difference between evolution and development? Like what do we, what do we really want to talk about when it comes to those two things? But whatever about that second one. Today, we're kind of just going to focus on the group and individual because at times in the past when you and I have been at a pub and drinking beers and talking to each other. I remember that sometimes you've met, you've pushed back at the whole idea of like species or whatever. Like it's all just individuals. And I have at other times pushed back and been like, well, we could also maybe say it's all just groups, you know, like, cause things are part and they're also kind of parcel. Like it depends on what, and that's the, the main thing that I think. And I know you've talked a lot about this as well, which is, I think it depends on boundaries and where we're going to talk about what's, what's a boundary. And, you know, even if you don't have a definition, what would you say are characteristics of something that you would say is a boundary? Um, and that's something that is much deeper than just Peloponnesian War or applying some theoretical model to a certain kind of scenario or type of phenomenon or something like that like cultural evolution or whatever. Does all sound good to you? Yep. Oh, right. <laughs> and then, of course, the other thing is, what's reproduction? You know? What What do people mean? And when I read books by philosophers of biology and stuff like that, it still seems quite slippery. Like, it's not like... I think you can have simple ways to just say, let's agree that it's this for right now and then start to work from there and try and see where we get, you know, rather than saying, no, it has to be a cuddly little creature, you know, that popped out of this female's JJ. Anyway, um, you know, so there's, there's some room here to actually have a little bit more uh, of a, conversation i think i hope (laughs) 
Yeah, too bad these guys didn't do it. Jesus Christ, guys. So I I do think there was a lot more talking past than than two in this. I do too. But I, yeah. those to me are fair questions and I okay with Massimo raising them. Mm-hmm. If you want to apply evolutionary thinking to this and then they had a little moment where Sloan Wilson was like, "Well, you know, you got to define what you mean by <laughs> evolution or whatever." <laughs> and they but they succeeded at that part. They both brought up the four-part, who was that by? The four things. Yeah, the Tin Virgin, Nico Tin Virgin. Virgin, But like, you know, (laughs) then Massimo was like, well, then for that matter, let's do Aristotle. So they agreed about that. And then those are legitimate questions. If you're going to do an evolutionary analysis, you're going to need to tell me what the unit is and how it reproduces and blah, 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 blah. Right? In order to do our quantification. In order to, yeah, I guess in some ways, even in order to know what you want to quantify, uh, to know where to start, like what direction are we going to head in now that we have this framework, you know, how are we going to capture this information that will help us understand what we think is going on? And I'm thinking, I guess I could just sort of attack these two things to the depth of which I have attacked them, which is, I don't know if it's. Deep or shallow or whatever. When it comes to, and I guess just for tonight, because we only give ourselves two hours more or less, and I think that's fine. When I think about reproduction and when I look into reproduction, I just think the safest thing to talk about is just copying. <laughs> like, like copies, you know, um, uh, making individual entities out of, you know, some model or whatever it is from of another kind of individual entity and that the thing that connects them or the thing that we are focusing on in this respect is fidelity and so it can be really low fidelity or it can be really high fidelity copies and i know there's a big push to want to like corner the market in biology and um talk about reproduction and replication and all that kind of stuff but i just think that these words have way too much um, action in other areas. And I kind of think that the idea of copying is bigger probably than biology. (laughs) You know, like, so it seems to me like we can still bump it up and say, maybe this is something, some type of process that is used in biological systems, you know? Uh, that we could say maybe it happens in chemical systems and physical systems and things like that happen. You know, imprints happen and molds and casts and all that. It can happen, you know, like we're making more, you know, whatever. Um, So anyway, that's the one thing. The thing, of course, that in biological systems binds these copies has a lot to do with some degree of inheritance in terms of material, you know, as well as other uh, kinds of information. And there's usually obviously some kind of, at the base, some type of genetic, you know, blueprint or whatever analogy you want to use, some type of framework that's genetic that allows for this information to get passed on. But in a way, I think about genes and DNA as being some way to stabilize this process rather than simply 
the uh, you know the end itself you know it's kind of more just these are this is a molecular arrangement that allows for the kind of you know again the stabilization of this process of re- reproduction and reproduction what would be the point of that in a biological system other than uh living long enough to die and then that information is lost i don't know maybe it's just an accident but somehow gets bundled up and captured and stabilized and it continues on its way um so that to me i think about when i think about uh copying high fidelity there's division there's you know addition you know division could be like a complete could be having but it doesn't have to be just even proportions you know you could have one thing separate into 12 or whatever i don't know like in or one separate into two you know that kind of thing um and then you could also have i'm thinking budding there could be some kind of budding that occurs um and then separates in, in some particular way. Uh, and then, of course, there's additional copies that could be made where, you know, you just have two things come together and they create something out of, you know, the two. Um, and so some inheritance occurs in that way, protect, uh, particularly uh, with respect to, say, if we're going to talk about biological systems, that's like sexual reproduction, where you bring two sets of uh, genomes or well half a set each they come together they mix and match like a you know a deck of cards they you know shuffle it up create a new offspring um or a new individual or whatever or many individuals anyway god sorry you were gonna maybe say something you breathed i heard the breath oh you're paying so much attention (laughs) Uh, Sounds good to me. I like it. Would you, if we use the term copying for this, the example that comes to my mind is just you've got the Xerox machine mm-hmm. down the hall in the office building, and you're making copies. <laughs> and so we can talk about at least three different things regarding copying. There can be the process, the strategy, and the mechanism. The process is... The whole deal. It's made of the human being who walks down there with their little manila folder and the paper and the machine and the act of lifting the lid and placing it in the upper right-hand corner, blah, blah, that whole thing. Pushing mm-hmm. the button, wait. That's the process. The strategy, in this case, I would describe as something like information extraction, transduction, and recreation or something like, you know, you mm-hmm. the machine pulls out somehow this information and it stores it inside in a different way and then it takes its materials the little ink or whatever and it makes a new one right and so the mechanism is just that machine the xerox machine and the ink and the you know it's the whole that which makes the copy and then in the biological thing like you were saying there might be different strategies some might just split and some might do this the whole sex thing, and some there's diff, those would be different types of strategies, and then DNA would be part of the mechanism right. aspect. Yep. The machinery. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, so that all works for me. Right. And so in some machinery might, if you're talking about uh, behavioral, and we're talking about other things like memes and and um, you know just in general imitation or whatever you want to call it emulation um you know that could be neurological and and not necessarily be 
at the level of genes or something. And the mechanism could be some fucking firing going on between neurons and whatever. Mirror neurons. Sorry, I'm not a fucking neuro guy. Um, See, that right there is the part of the argument for memes. Because it's like mirror neurons had nothing to do with what you were just saying. But that meme is in your brain, and as soon as the word meme gets activated, then the phrase mirror neurons gets activated or whatever, and you're just like, ah, I gotta say it! And then you just fucking say it, even though it doesn't belong. Well, it's funny, because I That's... remember reading something about that, and they thought that that was going to be one of the potentials, was that they were able to understand why learning happens or something. But maybe I'm totally fucked up about that. I don't know. Whatever. That's another thing that I had picked up on. I don't know. This isn't necessarily the place to bring it up, but since you used the word, how did they go through these seven letters without using the word meme? It must be that they're consciously avoiding it because it's a bad word in their group, in their culture community, right? Like, how can yeah. they not use the word? I think when it comes to someone like David Sloan Wilson... He, like I said, I think earlier here, he's kind of on, I wouldn't say opposite ends from Richard Dawkins, but he's definitely not in the Richard Dawkins camp. And he is, I think, a frustrated individual when it comes to gene centrism type thinking or whatever. And Massimo, I think, um, I have no idea whose side he's on. So it's like, why would he bother, you know? And so that's kind of my thinking. The damn, what was he, a gadfly? Um, so, yeah. So that there you have it. They didn't mention memes, and there, there might be good reasons. Or whatever, reasons. Um, there might be, yeah, reason. <laughs> uh, okay, so, so anyway, you, we were doing the copying thing. Is, was yeah, that... I think we the thread. I like it. So, but to me, I'm thinking one of the factors here, at least that's important within the framework, um, of, well, part of the framework that I'm trying to set up anyway would be fidelity. How well you know reproduced or copied is what came before, and the strategy may not be to have a good copy, you know, in the, like a high fidelity copy, but it's still. I think a part of this because there's that sort of I'm setting up. That's just an axis. You know, I'm, what I'm setting up is, you know, we've talked about this with, I eventually kind of went there with, uh, try and enjoy that episode, uh, where I was talking about the quadrants, you know, like if you think about a window, you know, with the thing, like the cross between the four panes of glass. And then of course, some people may be familiar with that sort of political one, where there's authoritarian and libertarian and then conservative and liberal or left and right or whatever. And uh, I kind of want to set up something like that tonight, just a little, okay? So the mm. <laughs> so if we're not completely finished with copying, I will you know hand it back over to you. I mean, we'll be revisiting these things, of course, but um, I kind of want to set up the other axis. That's my next move. I don't know about. Okay. Do it. Okay. So then the other thing is that what is being reproduced? Like, what is it that, what's the entity? And how do we think about it? You know, is it, do we want to call it an individual or, you know, to what degree do we talk about this thing, whatever it is, as um, an, a single entity versus 
being comprised of multiple entities. And of course, the more we learn about things, it unfortunately the closer you know the sooner as soon as we learn more about it that seems like inevitably we start to in our reductionist ways or whatever it is we break it down into pieces and all that kind of shit but in you know it's not stupid or anything like that It, it makes sense you know there's cells in our bodies and as far as our understanding of evolution and the evolutionary history of bodies is that they're comprised of these little cells and that these cells at one time their ancestry belongs to, you know, um, you know, free living, you know, not being all bound up in a body, you know, and multicellular bodies and all that kind of shit, plants, fungi and animals. And anyway, um, the question then to me, when we talk about, uh, you know, is it, uh, do, do we want to talk about it as an individual or we want to talk about something as a group I do think it comes down to talking about uh, boundaries, you know, and in particular, when I think about boundaries, I think about, you know, permeability. And I think we've had this conversation before, just one-on-one, maybe on the podcast at times, I don't know. But, you know, you could have varying degrees of permeability with respect to the entity's level of influence like what it will be influencing so um you know the impact of a single bacterium at the base of a skyscraper that is not you know those two things are kind of separate from each other so the bacteria is going to have influence on perhaps other bacteria you know and that kind of stuff so when we talk about the world of the bacteria what has influence on it i don't know the whole thing of the we would call a skyscraper has influence on a bacteria. I don't know. I think it's not as useful to think of it in that way. I think it'd be more useful to think about whatever's in your immediate environment and whatever it is that you can um, extract stuff from or avoid or whatever. It doesn't have to be an agency entity type thing, but it you know it's useful to talk about it in that way and so permeability the boundary having some degree of permeability allows some degree of autonomy in the the thing that we're going to talk about um and a lot of this of course is a big open door for you to also swagger in with talking about language and whatnot i think uh but when it comes to permeability with respect to boundaries you know i'm talking about you know, a high permeability boundary has like many degrees of freedom and it's inclusive, you know, and then something that has low permeability um, in it, you know, relative to its environmental context is, it has few degrees of freedom and is exclusive. You know, it's, it's essentially, I think about it, this book I was reading by this guy, Alan D.M. Rayner, he wrote a book in 1997 called Degrees of Freedom, and it's a subtitle is Living in Dynamic Boundaries. He's a mycologist, which is a person who studies fungi, and he gives an example in this book about like just, uh, and this is what makes me think about this, but you know, uh, you know, just a jar, a glass jar with marbles in it, 
And if you keep putting more marbles in it, they start to pack in and their boundaries are interacting with each other. But depending on how you're looking at the situation, you could think of it just as one thing, you know, but as soon as you get closer, say you're in the jar, you're like, oh, it's all these marbles in it, you know, like you're getting all these various perspectives. But I think about like low permeability boundaries and, and entities, things are kind of packed in a little bit more versus something that's much looser with low permeability and I don't know why this keeps coming to my head, but I think of like a hand of cards, <laughs> you know, it's like it or a stack of boxes for the chimpanzee to climb up and grab the banana, like the boundary or the, 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 the degrees of freedom, you know, are it's, it's sort of a tentative arrangement and it is essentially bound by the behavior of the chimpanzee, this stack of boxes or whatever. And we call it an entity. And I guess you could say we it has, you know, a boundary if you're talking about the boxes and you're touching it or whatever, but it also has this, you know, gravitational force and it has to be constructed by the damn chimpanzee and it could easily fall over and chimpanzee breaks its leg or whatever. You know, like it's not like uh, you know, within the environmental context of like an aqueous solution with the bacteria flowing through the bacteria seems like it might be kind of a hardy thing compared to say just some random ass molecules that are trying to stick together. Um, you know, anyway, uh, so that's kind of how I'm looking at permeability and boundaries and whatever we want to call a group or an individual and how we're going to look at it. And that would be like the other axis. So I don't know, say the fidelity low to high fidelity, is an x-axis and then the y-axis in this Cartesian coordinate system would be permeability, you know, or something like that. And in these quadrants, what would we say falls in them, you know, as far as, you know, when we think about some what its reproductive strategies or whatever are and um, whether or not we consider it a group or we consider it an individual, you know? And how do we go about doing that and where, you know, so... Is there some place for multi-level selection theory to be applied to cultural evolution in this quadrant, you know, or this set of four quadrants? What's the X and Y again? Damn it! God, you sleeping on the job! The X is fidelity. You can go from low, oh, right, okay. low to high would be going from, I don't know, right to left on your screen. Sorry, we don't. We're not sharing screens. I just anyway. And then uh, I have high permeability up up at the top, and then low permeability down at the bottom. Okay, of what? Oh, with respect to the boundaries of the individual slash. It, it has to do with the boundary, and it has to do with what we want to talk about regarding. So, individuals how does a or boundary groups. have a? position on the x-axis how is a boundary more or less fideless or what, no no know, it's not it's not the boundary that's got fidelity that's the, like the reproduction axis that's the copying axis have i lost you yeah damn it because i thought the way these things worked is that you take one individual's political beliefs and then you move that person somewhere on the x and somewhere on the y but yours is different. One is a boundary and one is a copying process or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I don't see even how it's on. Well, like if these it. are two variables that we find to be important, I'm 
whether I mean I'm saying they are because of how we talk about <clears throat> you know applying some kind of uh, you know selection mechanism to something like cultural evolution, which is what their debate was or discussion in the letters was about. And I was so one of the dots might be in the let's say it's a high fidelity low permeability dot in that part of the quadrant what does the dot refer to well that would be like um you know i guess you could say like a process like cloning or horizontal gene transfer or something like that where you know there's obviously a high, a low permeability boundary with you know relative to the environmental context and um a high fidelity you know copying process and of course we're talking about genes maybe you could also put the damn uh xerox machine because uh compared to you know uh me it's it seems to have a pretty sturdy boundary and and uh you know it has a way to feed information in but you just don't pass paper in through the wall of the thing you have to has to go in a particular slot just like with a bacterium and you know you don't just and nothing just passes through whatever it wants it has to like you know there's checkpoints and stuff and there's uh you know things have a little bit more uh there's more of an effort and more autonomy and control of the of the entity over what goes in and out of it so if a bacterium was answering the political questions. That's where it would land. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, are you, how do you feel about this? You know, how do you feel about that? You know, how, how do you feel about other things touching your insides? The bacteria would be like, I don't like it. Mm. How do you feel about, <laughs> how do you feel about when, you know, different things? I don't like them. What if your children are different? I don't like that either. You know, Stop it. They'd land, <laughs> they'd land in that quadrant, you know. Your kids want to do something else for a living. No, they can't. They're going to do, they're going to stay in the business or whatever. Bacteria would land in that quadrant. That kind of thing, I guess. Okay. Does that make better sense um, to you or no? <laughs> Off the rails. Well, what this is doing is reminding me of a future episode because mm. I don't like many of the things you said in this, but I also don't want to spend this episode arguing about it. So we should probably do like a boundary episode. Because we both like that topic. So, I think... And I also am losing how this is attached to Wilson and Piliucci. So, I think we should just... I'll try to work with it. And then you use it to help them in their dispute. Well, that's what it's I for. don't... I mean, I've already basically... I mean, I'm pretty much trying to... That's like a zoomed out. Like, that's my attempt to zoom out from what it is that they're talking about. Okay, yeah, so well, you, a way to address your new tool, because Sloan Wilson is always talking about his toolbox. <laughs> That's The person who gets the job done is the one who has a toolbox. Yeah. I've got all these things. So you want to make a tool for his toolbox, right, with this quadrant thing, with this axis. Well, I mean, in a way, I, what I want to do is frame where I think this discussion is being had, and then I guess drill down from there, but I'm not sure... If if there's no real buy-in, then we can move on to something else. I thought, is this what that is intended to do? This is a way 
if we plot some group, is that something that might go on this, a group? Yeah, I think... A- or a group evolving over time or something? I guess. So the thing would be then what what falls into these various quadrants? So um, something that I would say has low fidelity and low permeability would be like, you know, sexual reproduction, um, you know, uh, that kind of thing, maybe budding. And then something that has uh, low fidelity and high permeability would be maybe like, I don't know, a hand of cards or populations or something like that where what we would call a boundary you know it wouldn't be yeah i mean maybe you're just thinking boundaries have to be physical or something and that's where you don't like the idea of boundary in the way that i'm putting it in terms of just an entity has some type of you know thing that kind of keeps it an entity and so a hand of cards, the things that keep it an entity would be, like you were saying, what, process, strategy, and mechanism, process for, you know, making new hands of cards would be the shuffling of the deck and all that kind of stuff. And then um, the strategy is to give everybody as, you know, a fair chance when you, uh, you know, play the game to start out. You know, sometimes you have a good hand, sometimes you don't. So there's as unbiased a situation as possible. And then you, the mechanism is, you know, the doling out of the cards in a particular way. And then to a certain point you stop. And then people look at the hand of cards that they have, which has been given to them relatively at random. You know, and so that hand, however, depending on the game, you can take out a card and put a different one in or whatever. The permeability of what we're going to say is a hand of cards is really high, you know, and the cards can be doing lots of things within the context of the game. They could be sitting in a throwaway pile or they could be sitting in a pile that's yet to be pulled from or whatever, or they could be sitting in your hand. They could be sitting in someone else's hand or whatever. And so the degrees of freedom can be, you know, they could have many degrees of freedom comparatively to something like a bacteria or whatever, which is likely going to try and control and maintain its, you know, perm, you know, what comes in and out and how it interacts with the world. And um, even though these things are very different from one another, when it comes to just like making copies and things having some kind of, you know, entityhood or whatever... I was thinking, well, the one thing that to me seems to be at the at the core or whatever or a, or a centralized type of feature would be something like a boundary. And, you know, to kind of talk briefly about this Rainer guy, they're dynamic boundaries. They're not static. They don't, you know, whatever. So I'm not quite sure. Since you've pumped the brakes but still said future episode, I'm not sure where to go because... Now, you know, there's a problem. But that was the point of saying that, is to say, let's push through the problem. I'm not going to attempt to problematize it today. I just wanted you, like, I'm now, I'm not trying to critique it. I'm trying to understand it and apply it to these two dudes. So I'm saying, just keep going wherever you were going. I don't want to derail it. So... Okay, so then the last little quadrant there that I was thinking, something that's high permeability and, 
you know, high fidelity with respect to, you know, copying and boundaries and all that shit would be like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm putting question marks here. I've got it written down in question marks like songs or, you know, and of course that being like memes or I don't know what would fall into that last quadrant. But I'm thinking that when it comes to culture and whatnot, that these areas might be more on the, you know, cultural evolution might, if there are boundaries at all, they might be quite permeable, meaning like even when we create state boundaries, they're not really boundaries, you know what I mean? You're not like having to climb a mountain always. Sometimes we use rivers and things like that as a way to kind of mark the difference between two places. But for the most part, you know, when you're looking at the earth, you're not, you know, from space or whatever, you're not seeing actual boundaries of states and things like that. You're just seeing whatever the physical landforms are and the connection between, you know, or the contact between land and water and all that stuff. And so cultural features that would evolve to me seem to have, some may have a, you know, high, you know, fidelity of their copying and some may have low fidelity of the copying, but I kind of think they all have some degree of high permeability with respect to how they change, you know? Um, And so that's kind of what I was thinking just as a sort of overarching thing. So when Massimo Piliucci says, what are the groups and who's responding? What's the offspring? It's kind of like, well, how, I mean, if you're looking for, something that's high fidelity, low permeability, you're probably not going to find yeah. it in this Peloponnesian okay. War. But if you're looking for something that's much more permeable and, you know, uh, whatever degree of fidelity, then you might be able to find it more in these anthropogenic systems. And that's why this would be part of an extension of the synthesis Wilson is saying, why can't we apply evolutionary reasoning to high permeability, low fidelity copying? And Piliucci is saying, uh, is being the conservative here and saying, I don't want to, let's not, let's not be so quick to start talking evolution down in this quadrant. Right. I don't know. It's going to be really hard to do. It's going to be really speculative. You're going to do a bunch of just so stories to make things fit. And right. I don't think we're ready to muck around in the lower left quadrant or whatever that one whatever is. Whatever the yeah. So, and that's kind of my thinking was like, just zoomed out. It seems like, well, what are, what are we talking about? And, and could this be a source of talking past each other? I don't know. Because, you know, are these are the kind of things that one might want to do if they're going to get on the same page or whatever. And, um, yeah. So... Um, but there's a little more to it um, with respect to, uh, and I'll let you, if you have anything you want to talk about, um, but I'll, there's a little more to it that I was uh, that I will expound upon, I guess, over time here. Yeah, all I have is a snide comment to be like, yeah, hey, audience, you followed so far? You ready for more? <laughs> yeah. That's what we do. do it. That's what we do. So... This philosopher of biology, Samir Akasha, wrote a book, I think it's 2006, Evolution and the Levels of Selection. And I don't, I know they, they, the two, Massimo and Wilson, in their letters back and forth to each other, you know, I know the literature and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know where this book in particular falls in 2019, 
because 2006 was you know over a fucking decade ago so um but to me it's still great and i don't i don't know how much further along things have gotten it sounds to me like haven't gotten very far because you know number one when i read the book by um samir okasha this shit goes all the way back to darwin and it doesn't seem like we're and probably before but it doesn't seem like we're that much further along based on this back and forth between these two still keep mentioning darwin i feel like we're gonna get past it when we stop mentioning him um but uh anyway uh he talks about there's kind of two types of um multi-level selection and um this is also another thing that i think we're kind of we start talking about what's you know how do we want to talk about boundaries and and whatnot um and so he calls them mls1 and mls2 so essentially the idea with multi-level selection one is that you can have multiple groups that form um but that the idea is that the the group that's successful that is that that is selected if you will it's selected but the individual entities reproduce so they are successful at reproducing but the group itself does not reproduce a new entity so it's just you know gets better in that group so you could think of one group versus you know group a versus group b and group a over time has a certain number of you know individuals it has certain amount of population growth let's just say and it's i don't know fucking a third more or whatever over time unit t1 and then over that same time unit group b has an increase in like twice as many individuals and so that's multi-level selection one where one group just does better within itself and as it continues along it's just whatever it has it's more cooperative or whatever it is that's going on in that group those traits are being passed on there's more success with those individuals because of the traits they've inherited and they're creating more individuals and in group a they're just not they're not able to get off 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 their knees as well or whatever um and so that's multi-level selection one and that's pretty much what in the beginning at least david sloan wilson was talking about um multi-level selection two is the idea of something like species selection where one species against another species has a particular trait at a certain level so it could be one species has a greater geographic range than another and maybe they do compete for stuff the one that has a greater geographic range due to say length bias sampling it's going to have a greater chance that if anything breaks off from it and becomes a new species or whatever new lineage that it will then produce more lineages of you know itself now how what the level of fidelity of those copies are is probably pretty low, but you're looking at, you know, speciation or whatever as being another kind of form of um, copying and offspring, 
you know, that kind of thing. So that's multi-level selection, too. So there's two different ways in which they think about this. And so I have, I guess, a bit of an analogy, and we're going to talk about penguins. Um, more speculation, Massimo. Uh, okay. MLS 1 produces more individuals. MLS 2 produces more collectives. So imagine... Uh, Penguins in Antarctica, they're freezing their little nubby tails off. And one strategy that some have is to huddle together. And, you know, they over time have this thing where they huddle. And, you know, it just happens to be that those who, you know, maybe it's a dynamic that occurs naturally without anyone putting any effort in or whatever, but those in the middle slowly move towards the, uh, the margin of this huddle and those at the margin are slowly moving in towards the middle. And so they circulate and whatnot and everybody gets a chance to be really hot and, and, and also be kind of pretty cold at the edge or whatever. But that idea that they maintain their temperature, their internal temperature, they don't freeze to death. They huddle together and all that kind of stuff. And then there's those penguins that are like, fuck that shit. I'm all about me. And they go out and they're like, huddle this, bitches. And the the difference between the huddlers and the non-huddlers is that in this sense, in the multi-level selection one sense, the huddlers are going to end up just surviving the hard times a little bit more than those that don't, who are just going to, in the, during the hard times, might just be wandering around the fucking Antarctic ice sheet and just dying and freezing to death and some fucking explorer finds them later. And then the ones that huddle are going to tend to pass on their, their babies. But, you know, it's, you know, it's not always super cold. They don't always have to huddle. So just whatever it is, they pass on that. Maybe, it's, maybe there's some genetic complement as well. Maybe there's some kind of behavioral thing that the imitators have. Maybe it's a genes for imitation. I don't fucking know. So that kind of thing uh, creates more huddlers. And the huddlers then tend to just grow in number. There's more huddlers. An MLS 2 would be, you got these huddlers, let's just say, and now you're at that level where it's just like the non-huddlers don't even matter. So you have huddlers, but they're reproducing and say it's colder than usual for longer, and so they huddle, huddle for longer. Maybe they huddle for so goddamn long that they reproduce babies that... You know, it's it's a hard thing. You've got this big old mass of huddlers. It's getting really hot on the inside. It's getting harder to move back and forth. Things are kind of hard. You know, people it, overheating is a problem. Getting trampled is a problem. So then, maybe by accident, maybe whatever it is, the thing divides, right? Or it branches off. Something breaks off, and you got a smaller group of huddlers now, or groups of huddlers. And so then that idea would be an offspring, you know, a, you know, a reproductive event of, you know, one big old huddle that then produces something else. Whether that was totally necessary, I don't know. But it was something I thought of, and I was like, I'm mentioning it. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of the, the main kind of thing that I wanted to, in addition mention so then when massimo's like who what are the groups who's reproducing how 
in this case, I kind of think that when it comes to the Peloponnesian, you know, war, that it would be more of a MLS one type case where you're just producing more huddlers, but you don't have to break into multiple huddles or whatever. So when it comes to something like, you know, the, the background that I understand from this, and I am not a Greek scholar, and yes, I went to Wikipedia, but hey, I'm quoting like, well, not quoting, but I wanted to quote Samir Okasha, the book's in my hand. Um, so the idea, as I understand, is Athens was a big wig, uh, the Athenian uh, you know, league or whatever the group was called, and, um, you know, success breeds, you know, uh, bitter enemies or whatever. And the Peloponnesian League, I think, and they were the uh, the Spartans. They, I don't know, there's a problem, right? As there always is. And there are like multiple phases of these these wars or whatever. But in general, one of the things that the Spartans were able to do was get others on their side. And I think at least that by the final phase, they had Persia, this Persian empire. I don't remember what they were called, but they joined with the, you know, the, what am I trying to say? The, the Spartans. And they were able to, because they had higher cooperation, whatever it was that was going on with them, they were able to overwhelm the Athenian group and, you know, win the, the war. Um, but of course, instead of, you know, whatever it was about Sparta, they were able to, at least within, you know, their general surroundings, this is all, you know, essentially, you know, fighting happening around the Aegean Sea uh, on both sides, uh, east and west in that basin. But um, they, for whatever reason, you know, uh, they decided, nah, let's not have democracy. Let's be tyrants or whatever. And, um, you know, that didn't last very long. And so then there was a reactionary backlash to that, reactionary backlash to the Athenians initially. And, you know, it didn't last very long, this tyrant state or whatever. And then uh, democracy returned. And so they were able to be beaten back. And I think about like, okay, well, so during the war, there's lots of cooperation Persians, there's others perhaps with the Spartans. And then during the tyrannic aftermath, Persians got nothing. And all of a sudden there was this low cooperation and those who were also able to cooperate better, which were the Athenian and other people who were like, damn it, let's get this back or whatever. Then they overwhelmed the Spartans. And so as these back and forths are occurring, you know, whatever it is that's culturally relevant to the dominant group will be spread by whatever's, you know, the the dictates of the group are going to be. So if it's tyranny and, you know, horribleness, then that'll get spread around and probably people will, can, you know, whatever those quote-unquote memes are will get passed on. And then if it's, you know, um, cooperation and democracy, whatever those memes are will get spread throughout. And so that's kind of, I think it's more of an MLS one where you just create more individuals. And in particular, this is an individual meme or whatever there. What? That was the end. <laughs> the end of everything. Well, that was just the idea. 
that I was thinking, okay, well, if we're going to talk about Peloponnesian War, what I don't even know what quadrant it would fall in, but it definitely would be, I think, more on the high permeability side and within this MLS-1 component uh, that this guy Samir Akash talks about, which is where you're just producing more individuals rather than uh, collectives or whatever. Too bad you weren't writing letters to Massimo. It feels to me like most of what you have been engaging in with this, with your projects tonight, is sort of attempting to get started at doing what Wilson wants, right? You haven't got to precise quantification yet, but it sounds like you're trying to show Massimo well, there are some tools that we could put in the kit and at least talk about it and look about it in these ways. And there could be benefits derived from these evolutionary-style considerations. Yeah, I mean, I would say um, certainly that's the... uh, That's kind of the upwelling. (laughs) Whether or not I actually want to do it is, like, another thing. Um but definitely, I think when well, I just tweet at Peter Turchin and tell him to do it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Follow this thread. Um, it's twenty thousand tweets long. Um, yeah, and so yeah, that was kind. Of, that was mainly what I wanted to, you know, address when it came to the the idea of you know what I thought they were talking about in as good or bad a way as possible but it's something not nothing <laughs> yeah man it's not nothing you're putting ideas out there yep i don't know i don't know what i'm going to say about them i don't think i'm going to say anything i think i'm just going to be like yeah there you go that's ryan's thing there it is and then some other night we'll argue about what permeability means and what a boundary is. Okay. Sounds good to me. One thing, before we, I don't know if you're totally done or not, but one thing I wanted to say, totally separate. Okay. Do you, like, do you want to talk more about this or no? What? Oh, oh, uh, you, like, do something separate. That's totally fine. Yeah. Okay. I had a bell go off in my head because I've got an alarm system set up for these things. And when I got to this sentence, I thought, ah, the whole thing now makes sense, and this entire epistolary exchange is irrelevant to me now. (laughs) But Massimo let slip uh, this. Okay, so he was talking, he was quoting Peter Turchin, because they were both kind of talking about him as an ancillary member of the conversation. Mm Mm-hmm. And so Turchin wrote, Human societies or their decision-making institutions may anticipate the eventual results of group selection in many contexts and get there first. Such anticipative selection, when it works, will yield the most rapid rate of social change. Uh, So that's the sort of thing that people, that MLS people say that Massimo doesn't like. And he says back to that, Well, he may call this anticipative selection, but I call it conscious volitional (laughs) decision-making. And that's, like, my, I just went, ding, I get it now. 
this guy has an idol, a dogma here, and he thinks that Sloan Wilson and his crew might encroach on his free will. And mm. that's where the whole thing comes from. Maybe I'm just reading too much into it because I'm obsessed with that kind of... I don't like it when people do that. But that really just set it off, you know, uh, that Piliucci is just like, wait a minute. I really like my conscious volitional decision-making and you guys are telling me I might not do it. And that's why he got his backup. I don't know if you even noticed no, that. No, <clears throat> that's a... Uh... Now you need to go tweet that. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I, now I, I think we all read things, you know, differently or whatever. <clears throat> but yeah, so something that is, it, this is what he finished it off with saying is something that is nowhere in your math, you know. <laughs> yeah. We, so, can't, we yeah. can, italics, think about stuff before acting on it. So he just, he's emphatic and certain about that, that he is a conscious agent who thinks about stuff. And he's like, if I'm just merely a dot on Ryan's graph that has some degree of permeability and fidelity and stuff just happens and my boundary gets crossed and blah, I make copies of stuff. No! Stop it! That, I, don't, I don't have room in there to be a conscious thinking thing. So he just reacts against it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm not against that interpretation. I'm sure he is. He'd be like, you don't get me or anything. Yeah. Uh, you want to end on that? <laughs> I don't know. That's just one thing that I picked up on and had marked to mention. Yeah. That, what? That's like down. Oh boy. That was almost at the end. Yep. Criminy. Well, do you have anything else that you, uh, or was that pretty much it? And you were like, I'm done with this. That's it. I'm done. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, uh, 